Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. First, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. As well, on September 27th at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, I'm going to be hosting a free Zoom history conference. It's all about the 1915 Edmonton flood, the worst flood in the city's history. If you'd like to register, just email me at craig at canadaehx.com. It runs for about 45 minutes. Canada has had several sports dynasties. There were the Montreal Canadiens of the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s, and the Edmonton Oilers of the 1980s, of course. There were the Toronto Argonauts of 1945 to 1952, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of 1958 to 1962, along with the Edmonton Eskimos at various times. Perhaps it's something to do with Edmonton, but whatever it is, there is one team that dominated its sport more than any other in Canadian history. This is the story of the Edmonton Grads. Throughout this episode, I will be speaking with Anne Hall, who wrote a book on the Grads called The Grads Are Playing Tonight. It is available on Amazon and at most bookstores, so I encourage you to check it out, and there will be a link in the show notes if you'd like to go and buy it. The Grads dominated women's basketball to an extent that it almost seems impossible. Between 1922 and 1940, the team played in 412 games, and they won 392, with only 20 losses. This is an unbelievable winning percentage of 95.1%. To put that in perspective, the best modern Major League Baseball winning percentage in a season came from the 2001 Seattle Mariners with 71.6%. The Montreal Canadiens of 1976-77, considered the greatest hockey team of all time, won 82.5% of their games, while the Golden State Warriors of 2015-16 won 89% of their games. Looking at the entire history of sports, in the big four North American sports, the best winning percentage is 61.7%. None come close to the grads. The inventor of basketball himself, Dr. James Naismith, would say that the grads were the finest basketball team that ever stepped out on a floor. So let's get to the birth of the grads first, before we go into their impact on sports in Canada. Things begin in 1912 when a man named John Percy Page moved from Ontario to Edmonton and began to organize commercial classes at the local high schools. 
He would soon be teaching commercial classes at McDougal High School, and it was there he decided to organize a basketball team for the school. His assistant coach took on coaching the boys, and Paige coached the girls. The story of which team each man would helm was said to come down to a coin toss, but according to Betty Bowen in an interview with CBC, that may not have been the case. Well, I've never heard uh, Mr. Page confirm it or deny it. Have either of you girls about the coin? I think oh, I that think one it was probably true. Yeah, because, uh, at one, he would have denied it. Yeah, well, at one point he did say that that sort of the deciding factor was that he was married and um, Mr. Hicks wasn't. The, the coin so toss was to decide which of those two men would, would coach the, the girls, girls basketball mm -hmm. team. You mm -hmm. could say girls in that, those days. You didn't yes, have to say well, women's basketball. Yes, well, we still basketball. say girls. Oh. We use the word loosely, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I've, I've heard him repeat the story about they yeah. decided that because he was married, married. he'd be working yes. with girls. Yes, he and should it, be the one. You're the thinking of 1915 at that point. Yeah. You know, so propriety, I suppose, was mm -hmm. a little sort of a deciding factor. Here is Anne Hall. Well, you have to go back to about 1912, 1913, when Percy Page uh, arrives in Edmonton. He arrives to teach at uh, McDougal School uh, in business courses. And uh, he also becomes the physical education teacher. Uh, there were only two teachers there at the time and uh, he got the job because he was married and the other teacher was not. So most of the students were women. So they decided that he would be the better physical education teacher. At that time, basketball is just beginning to start within the schools. Um, it becomes a sport for women. Uh, it was modified at the time, but uh, it was it was a it was a pretty good sport for them to start to play, and the girls were interested in that, so they formed teams in the school, and then they were only in the school for two to three years because it was a short business course, and when they graduated, they came to Paige and said, "We'd like to continue playing." And so that's how the name came, the Edmonton grads. They were, with only two exceptions, they were all graduates of McDougal High School. A little bit about Page. He was born in 1887 and born in Rochester, New York. The family would move to Bronte, Ontario in 1890, and he would attend Hamilton Collegiate Institute, the Ontario Normal School, and then Queen's University. He would receive a Bachelor of Arts degree from the university, and in 1906, he was teaching in New Brunswick and married Maud Roche in 1910. Two years later, he moved to Edmonton. One amazing thing about Page was that he held only a basic knowledge of basketball, itself a relatively new sport, but he would study the sport and learn to coach it. Here's Ann Hall. Well, he was a really interesting gentleman. He was a, let's put it this way, he was a, a gentleman and a gentleman. So he was the antithesis of your screaming on the sidelines, yelling kind of coach. He never lost his temper. He was very gentle with the students um, and the girls. Uh, if someone made a mistake, for example, he would never berate them in front of the others. He might write them a little note to explain what had happened or he would take them aside. Um, he And I think what the other factor that made him such a good coach is that he knew his girls from the very start because almost all of them came to the school from the, from the beginning. And he had created so many different feeder teams that he followed these students all the way through as they matured a little bit. And he knew exactly who he wanted to place on the team because the team was 
uh, reinvented every fall. You, you just didn't automatically assume that you, once you got on the team, you would stay there. He continued to shuffle it around a little bit and he would bring in new players each time. And he knew exactly who he wanted to play on the team. Um, he also stuck to fundamentals. He wasn't a fancy coach at all. He didn't have different plays and so on. And he believed constantly in two things. One, the fundamentals. And secondly, that in order to really learn how to play, you need to play the game. And it's not often known, but they practiced, the grads practiced often with boys. There were the boy grads. And they were an official uh, group of young men, uh, usually themselves attending McDougal High School. So they were 16 to 18 years old. And they were known as the boy grads. And whenever there was a team coming up from the States to play, the team would practice with, the, with boys. And I think that was one of the major factors why they became so good. In 1985, three of the grads, Noel Robertson, Betty Bowen, and Doris Neal, spoke with CBC Morningside about Paige. You have the picture right there, and he was a perfectionist, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? He was. And uh, he I had, think he was a little shy, actually. Yeah. He was a very reserved man. Mm-hmm. A sensitive man, too. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he masked his feelings, but he could be hurt easily. Mm-hmm. He was Mr. Page to the team, Definitely. wasn't he? And then was it later they um, began to call him Papa? Papa? Well, yeah. it was only after, much later, that they, it was in the latter years that they started to call only him Only a few Papa. of the girls. Just you know, very few. Marguerite, Bernie, I never Marguerite, did. Those. I mm-hmm. never oh, you had to be no, right there for a long no, time? No, no, it was just yeah. something that they, they started, and but I don't know for some said. their own personal reason, we didn't pick it up. I, I think, think he liked it, mind yeah, you. Good. I got a letter from him signed Papa at one mm-hmm. time, but I could no more call him that than I could oh, I call him Percy. No. <laughs> I called him Papa. Did you? Uh-huh. Yes. The grads started training twice per week, but with no gym at the school, they were outside on an outdoor court training. In 1914, the team began to compete against other teams, winning the local high school tournament in the city, a sign of things to come. In 1915, team members would graduate from McDougal High School and they wanted to keep things going with the sport. They would decide to establish the Commercial Graduates Basketball Club, also known as the Commercial Graduates, which eventually became known as the Grads. Page continued to coach the team and the team members were mostly made up of students from the high school and its graduates. Years before minor league systems became the norm in sports, Page began his own form of the system when he would recruit new players by having promising students join the Gradettes, the secondary team, and the best of that team would be called up to the Grads when a spot was available. Doris Neal speaks about joining the Grads. Well, I don't know. It just seemed that basketball was as natural as breathing because we had played especially six players. Seven. Seven had played at Parkdale Public School. We went on to commercial, we played on the school team, we played on the gradettes, and then we eventually got to the grads. But the gradettes were kind of farm team, weren't they? they were... Yes, and uh, excellent players. And of course, when we got on the grads, <coughs> then it was just like old home week. You know, right. We knew how the girls played, we knew where they were, we knew their style, everything. And uh, so it was just a, as natural as breathing. I didn't feel any pressure at all when I played on the grads. The year the team became the grads, they would defeat basketball teams across the province and become provincial champions. They would remain as the provincial champions, despite being challenged several times for the next several years. By 1917, they were so good that no team in the province even tried to challenge them for the provincial title. 
Their run as provincial champions would end briefly when the University of Alberta varsity team challenged the grads and won the game by two points on April 27, 1919. By November, the grads challenged the U of A team and won their title back. In April 1920, the U of A challenged the grads once again, but this time lost. Unhappy with the loss, the U of A team demanded an immediate rematch, wanting to waive the usual three-month waiting period, claiming that someone on the team younger than high school age had played. Another game was played, and the grads lost their title to the U of A. In 1922, the team would win their first Canadian basketball championship, the first of many as we will see. Playing against the London Shamrocks, they were captained by Eleanor Montefield, and they would cruise to victory and begin their dominance, while also seeing their fame increase. Nellie Young spoke about coming to Edmonton after the win in the documentary Shooting Stars. You know, they crowded the arena, that old arena, just, uh, they couldn't accommodate them all. We became so popular after beating that team in the East, it just grabbed people. And then they uh, were, they were hanging from the rafters, actually on the rafters of the arena to watch. In 1923, the first international Underwood Trophy tournament was held, with teams from Canada and the United States competing. The grads would take on the Cleveland favorite Knits and defeat them in a two-game score of 55-33, becoming the first Underwood Trophy winners. I should say they were the first Underwood Trophy winners. They were the only Underwood Trophy winners. Page was known to tell his team that they must play basketball, think basketball, and dream basketball. They would practice from September to June twice a week, usually on Mondays and Thursdays from 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. The grads and the gradettes would practice together, and the team specialized in the short passing game. Page would say to his team, You're ladies first, and basketball players second, and if you can't win playing a clean game, you don't deserve to win. Here is Ann Hall. Well, you have to remember that all of these players who played were working gals. Uh, they all, all of them worked in... Uh, 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 some in factories, some in uh, stores as clerks. Uh, there were a couple who did become teachers, uh, but they once they graduated, they all worked uh, up until in time they were married, of course. And so these, their schedule of travel had to be around whatever vacation time the players could get. And the businesses in Edmonton who employed the grads were very, very interested in, of course, having a grad on their staff because that was good for the business. It was good publicity. So they were also very good about arranging their vacation time all together at the same time. So the grads could make their barnstorming tours down through the United States. Uh, they would be available when the teams came up here. Sometimes they traveled east. And so it was a kind of a cooperation, if you like, between the businesses in Edmonton who hired the grads and how, what the team schedule was. So it was, a, it was busy, busy. And now most of the grads would stay on the team maybe three, four years. There were a few who did play for much longer, but their time on the grads was relatively short. While the Olympics had not made basketball an official sport, the grads were invited to the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. They won every single game with an average score of 60 to 10. After they won their last game, the team went on holiday through Europe while Paige, along with grads Winnie Martin and Daisy Johnson, attended the International Women's Sports Federation, where Canada was admitted as a member and the grads were declared as world basketball champions. 
Abby Scott talks in the documentary Shooting Stars about when they found out they were going to the Olympics, or at least Paris. Well, one night at practice, he said, I want you girls to come to the library after practice. And he said, well, um, I have been in touch with whoever it was in the, in the government to represent Canada at the uh, Olympic Games in Paris. And he said, we have enough money to take eight people over. And he had the dates and everything, when we, you know, <laughs> all lined up. Well, for once, we were quiet. You know, we're just stunned. Never, never even thought of anything like that happening. And uh, then, of course, we were noisy. <laughs> now officially world champions, the team returned home with sponsors and financial support. This allowed Paige to get the Edmonton Arena as a home for the team, and the team got to work dominating the sport in the country. The grads would spend the next several years campaigning for the inclusion of basketball as a sport at the Summer Olympics. Their efforts were in vain, as the sport was not added into the Games until 1976. What was done instead was a tournament that would happen in conjunction with the Olympics, serving as a European women's basketball tournament, and the grads were invited to defend their world title. They would win every single game, beating teams by as much as 70 points. Here is Anne Hall. They traveled to Europe. Uh, one of the things that's often said about the grads is they went to the Olympics um, in 1924, 28, 32, and 36. Um, th this is not entirely true because bas women's basketball was not a sport of any description, not even an exhibition sport uh, until 1976 in Montreal. And but Paige was very interested in having basketball a women's sport at the Olympics. So beginning in 1924, he contacted uh, some of the uh, European teams and some of the uh, women leaders of sport in Europe. And he arranged for the team to travel in 1924. And it was around the same time as the Paris Olympics. But they played only local teams. They did not play in the Olympics itself. Uh, there were no teams and of course they they were so good that they won all their matches all their games because they were playing basically other teams who were as qualified mm -hmm. and that was the same in 1928 when the olympics were in amsterdam they played in europe around the same time in 1932 in los angeles uh, they traveled to los angeles i think because page really again wanted to lobby uh, for the team basketball to become a women's sport which wasn't successful they played no games at all and in 1936, they were recognized as part of the Canadian team insofar as they were allowed to wear the Canadian uniform. Uh, but there were no games for them to play in the Olympics, no exhibition games at all. So often you hear that the guys had played in the Olympics. That is just not <laughs> true because it would have been impossible. So mm -hmm. there's some confusion there. But that that was the way that they became really really well known in europe at the time because there were lots of local teams who wanted to play them to see if they can beat them and i think the entire time they were traveling in europe in all those years they never lost a game so they yes they were well known anytime the grads played people came out to see them sadly in one game tragedy struck in july 1931 an exhibition game was staged between the Edmonton grads and the gradettes at the exhibition grandstand in Lloydminster. On the day of the game, the grandstand was full, 
and standing room only was at a premium as residents waited for the team to arrive. It would take seven hours for the team to arrive due to wet conditions on the road, and the game started several hours late. At the same time, an airplane was doing land office business when it struck a power line and crashed, killing the pilot and two local men. The plane crash happened right next to the grandstand, and several people rushed over to the crash site. While the tragedy had happened, the grads still put on their game. George K. Ross of Lloydminster would say of the match, It was clearly seen why they were the best in the world. They were masters of their art. It was ability, not luck, that gained them such a worldwide reputation. No doubt many aspiring basketball players who witnessed this event were inspired to become better players. On May 5, 1930, the largest crowd for a basketball game in Canadian history, to that point, came to see the grads take on the Chicago Taylor Trunks. In total, 6,792 people came to the game in Edmonton. From 1924 to 1936, they played their tournaments in conjunction with the Olympics, winning four consecutive times, and in all 24 matches they played. Since these games were played in conjunction with the Olympics, there was no medal count added to Olympic totals. In 1936, James Naismith wrote a letter to the grad saying, You are not only an inspiration to basketball players throughout the world, but a model of all girls' teams. Your attitude and success have been a source of gratification to me in illustrating the possibilities of the game and the development of the highest type of womanhood. While this letter was very praiseful of the grads, it also showed the view that many had of women in sports at the time. Some Canadians disproved of female athletics, despite the growing dominance of Canadian women in sports, such as Bobby Rosenfeld, who I did an episode on last month, and Ethel Catherwood of the Matchless Six, who I also did an episode on. In Naismith commenting on them being the highest type of womanhood, and Paige having strict rules on the women always being ladylike off the court, it reflected those outdated views. When the Second World War broke out, the Royal Canadian Air Force needed that Edmonton arena, and that took away the training space for the team, as well as depriving them of a location to play international teams. In addition, as can be expected, the war in Europe severely disrupted the ability of teams to compete in basketball on the continent, and many tournaments and championships were cancelled. Another issue came from the domination of the team over its opponents, no clear rival could be found, and with the grads nearly always winning, attendance was declining. Even with declining fans, the team was still loved by those who followed them. One fan was Ernest Edward Cappy Kidd, who was a resident of Callahoo, Alberta. He attended every game that the grads played at Edmonton Arena, except for two games when he was in the hospital. When the grads went to Wainwright to play an exhibition game, he met the team at the train station to support them. In 1940, thanks to his years of support, he was given the honour of tossing the ball to open a game between the grads and a team from the United States. In May of 1940, after two decades of championships, the grads won their last championship before the team disbanded. By this point, the team had defended their title to the Underwood Trophy continuously for 17 years, and in their final season, the Underwood International Trophy was given to the grads as their permanent possession. Of the 120 games they played for the Underwood Trophy, the grads won 114, losing only six. The team would officially disband on October 14, 1940. Here's Ann Hall. Well, there are several factors. They, after 25 years 
um, I think Percy Page, for one, decided that it was time to call it quits. So it's 1940, and uh, there is a war on, and uh, one of the problems in Edmonton was that the military took over the Edmonton Arena uh, for their own purposes. So that was no longer a venue to bring teams up to travel. Travel was very difficult in those days, uh, certainly across the country and certainly uh, from the United States up. Um, another factor was there wasn't anything else for them to win. They had won <laughs> consistently for 25 years. There was really nothing else for them to uh, demonstrate their superiority. And I think the final factor was Page himself. He was a really busy man at that point. Um, he was still a teacher. He was a principal. And he was also a member of the Alberta legislature. So he was a politician. So he had a lot going on. And throughout all those 25 years, although he did bring in other uh, coaches, other men who were assistant coaches and helped with the, the feeder teams, he was the primary coach for all that time. And I think that after 25 years, he said, well, we really had a good run and that's enough. Now I'm going to go into some of the amazing statistics for this team. So get ready for some numbers. During the course of their existence, the grads had two immense winning streaks of note. One was 147 games long, while another was 78 games long. Several times they played an entire season without losing a single game. While the Underwood to International Trophy would be retired for the team, the grads also saw similar domination in several other championships. In the Western Canadian Finals from 1926 to 1938, the grads won every single year except for 1931, when no series was played. In one championship game in 1932 against the Vancouver Witches, they won 100-45. In all, they won 21 championship games, with an average score of 52-28. They never lost a single Western Finals game. In Canadian championship games they competed in, the team won every year except for 1929, 1931, 1936, and 1937, when the series was not played. In all, they played 31 games in championship finals and won 29, losing only two, and they won by an average of 49 to 21. In 94 Canadian exhibition games that the team played, usually as a way of training for championships and tournaments, the grads won 94, lost two, and won by an average score of 63 to 16. In 18 exhibition games against American teams, they won 15, losing only three. One of the most amazing facts about the grads is that only 38 women played on the team, with Margaret McBurney serving as the captain the longest at 182 games. One interesting stat about McBurney is that she once threw 61 free throw baskets in a row in 1931. The highest score ever recorded by the grads was 136 points in a game against the University of Alberta, when the U of A team scored only 16 points. In all, the team traveled 201,000 kilometers to play their games. In one stretch in 1926, they played 10 games in 11 nights in Winnipeg, Chicago, Warren, Cleveland, New York, Toronto, and London, and then back to Toronto. Only seven teams in history scored more than 50 points against the grads, while the grads scored more than 50 points, unusual for the time, 162 times. The bonds among the players was hard to shake, and while members would go on to compete on other teams, the grads stayed in touch with each other. Every four years they would hold a reunion, and in 1961 the grads formed an organization to stay in touch and answer questions from the public. 
The Edmonton Grads Club would continue to hold reunions while preserving memorabilia and archives until 1987. In 1947, the team held a reunion and Noel MacDonald spoke with CBC. 25 years ago, the Edmonton Grads won the first Canadian Women's Basketball Championship Series ever staged. Tonight in Edmonton, they're holding a reunion to celebrate that victory. Enid Nemi of the Canadian Press reports from CJCA in Edmonton. A group of girls who were called the best team that ever stepped out onto a basketball floor gathered in Edmonton tonight for an official reunion. Most of them are married now, and some have children, but to Canadians, they will always be remembered as the Edmonton Grads, the team that chalked up a record of victories that has never been equaled by even the best men's squads. Probably the best-known grad was Noel MacDonald, now Mrs. Harry Robertson, the center who was chosen as Canada's outstanding woman athlete in 1938 and awarded the Rose Bowl. Noel, how long did you play with the grads? From 1933 to 1939, but the team was first organized way back in 1915. The grads won 502 of the 522 games they took part in before disbanding in 1940 due to the war. Did you ever take part in Olympic competitions, Noel? Yes, but not officially. The grads went to Olympic Games in Paris, Amsterdam, Los Angeles, and Berlin, where we had the dubious honor of sitting a few feet away from Hitler. There are three silver trophies on the table. The first represents the Canadian Championship, which the grads won 25 years ago. What about the other two? The next one is the International Championship, which the team won 15 years in a row. And the last one is for the world's official title, which we won in Monte Carlo nine years ago and still hold. Many of your teammates traveled from such scattered points as Kitchener, Vancouver, and Yellowknife for this reunion. But I suppose after traveling more than 150,000 miles in seeking and defending various titles, distance doesn't mean a great deal. Well, leaving husbands and children was more of a consideration than distance. But we wanted to get together, and then our coach, Percy Page, now a member of the Alberta legislature, is here with us. Thank you, Noel. The grads will always continue to be a symbol of what can be achieved in amateur sport. This is Enid Nemi, reporting from Edmonton. The teams that were formed from the grads would have great success as well. The Comets and the Starlets both featured former players from the grads, and both teams competed for titles at provincial, national, and international levels. While none achieved the high success of the grads, they still showcased Canadian women's basketball to the world. After the team disbanded, Page would go on to be elected to the Alberta Legislature, serving until 1959. That year, he would be appointed as the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta, a position he held until 1966. In 1961, he was made a Knight of Grace of the Most Venerable Order of the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem, and he was presented with an Honorary Doctorate of Laws degree that same year from the University of Alberta. In 1973, he would die from complications brought on by pneumonia. J. Percy Page School in Edmonton is named for him. The last grad was Kay Macbeth, who died on July 23, 2018 at the age of 96. She spoke on the legacy of the grads with Global News prior to her death. Um, being fast and a good playmaker and not a ball hog. You were apparently the most successful sports team Canada has ever had. How does that make you feel? I don't know. Oh, somebody said, oh, you weren't really good. I said, oh, yeah, we were. You know, 
I'd stand up for it, but that, it's not something that, I'm not that type of person that thinks that because we have a great thing going, there isn't somebody else around that can match it. Here, people are, oh, get all excited. That girl yesterday, and she said, oh, I've got to bring my son over. He's got to meet you. Why? I mean, it's crazy. But it's fun, and it's nice to talk to them and, and uh, give them a little help if they want to know what it is to do. But playing basketball or any game, you, you know, it's like if, if it's the top of, their, of your life to do, you have to do it the best you can all the time. You just don't play one day and then go away for a week and fool around skating or whatever it is you might do, you know. Long after the disbandment of the team, the honours continued to flood in. The Canadian press voted the team as Canada's greatest basketball team of the first half of the 20th century. In 1976, the team's success on the court was designated as a national historic event, and a plaque was dedicated in honour of the team in 1978. The Canada Basketball Hall of Fame inducted the entire team roster in 1983, and a documentary called Shooting Stars was made by the National Film Board in 1987. Edmonton Grads Park was established in West Mountain, Edmonton, which includes a permanent display about the team. In 2010, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame gave the Grads an honorary plaque. The Edmonton Grads International Classic Tournament was established by Canada Basketball in 2014 and takes place every two years. In 2015, a mural was dedicated to the Grads in Edmonton, and in 2017, the team was inducted into the Canada Sports Hall of Fame, and a Heritage Minute was produced about the team. Lastly, one of the greatest honours of the modern age was bestowed upon the grads on November 9, 2019, when a Google Doodle was created to celebrate the team. Here's Anne Hall. Well, they were a team. Um, for example, when the American teams came up and from the States, as they travelled up the States, they'd often thought, well, if we added a few ringers along the way, uh, some really good players... Uh, we could beat the grads. That never happened uh, because the grads considered themselves and Percy Page considered themselves as a complete team. And he was also against stars. There was no one with possible exception of Noel McDonald, who was their longtime center for a while um, as a star, but no one was, they, 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 he did not think of the players as stars. He thought of them as a complete unit. And they played together as a unit all the time. And they, uh, they, um, he practiced that way. He talked about them that way. And they thought of themselves as a complete unit, as a team. So I think, and they, they played over the years. They played some really, really good teams, particularly American teams, uh, who were invited up to play with them. And uh, so the competition that they had was very, very good because from 1923 onwards, it's probably something that's not known, is that they played so-called men's rules. In those days, and right up until the 60s, actually, uh, girls, there were girls' rules and, and, and boys' rules in basketball. And the girls' rules were restricted to two-thirds of the court. Um, I'm a graduate of Queens, and I played basketball in the early 60s, and I was still playing girls' rules. And so as a forward, uh, you couldn't go into the guard area, and as a guard area, you couldn't go into the forward area. Uh, there was a two-bounce rule 
uh, two dribble rule and so on. It was a restrictive game. From 1923 onwards, the grads played men's rules. And I think that was another factor in, because it's a much freer, less restrictive game. And so their whole philosophy and the, the way they played was to have very short passes, uh, move the ball up, to, up the court very quickly, uh, and score. And uh, it worked. So I think a whole combination of factors made them a really, really excellent team. Yes, I, I think, you know, there's been a kind of resurgence of interest in the grads. Um, a few examples. Um, up until just a few years ago, they were not, uh, had not been uh, elected into the Canada Sports Hall of Fame as a team. Uh, the Percy Page was uh, a, a, an honored member and so was Noel McDonald, but the team itself was not. And so um, there was a push to get that done and we, we did get that done. So they're now in the Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, at that point, there was still one grad still still alive and uh, so she was able to be at those ceremonies and so on which was quite exciting um, there are no none of the grads are alive to now um, i think another factor is that um, historica canada in their production of these little 60 uh, mm -hmm. second historic minutes they did one on the grads recently a couple of years ago so and I, you know, I continue to be interviewed as I am now uh, about the grads and people ask questions. I think of all the uh, books that I've written, um, that one seems to have struck the most chord. And I still get letters uh, from people who've read the book or people who um, are interested in the grads or I get letters saying, my, my mother was a, a member of the grad and she's not in your, in your book. Why is that? And so I have to look and see what the problem is. And sometimes it's because they remember the feeder team. And there were several feeder teams, like about three or four, could have been a member of one of those, but they were not an official member of the grads. So I'm quite stunned always be, uh, the amount of correspondence and interest that I still think is, is there about the grads, which is good. It's great. One could say that the grads dominated because they competed against women's teams that were nowhere near as good or well-trained. Those people would be wrong. The grads were an example of an extraordinary team that comes together when everything aligns right. And for the record, of the nine games the grads played against men's teams, they won seven. I hope you enjoyed that look at the grads, and if you did, please give a rating and review. It helps move the podcast up the rankings. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website where I have hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Go to CanadaEHX.com. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. I'd like to say thank you to all of my patrons, including Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., Renee Beliveau, and Iris Gray. Information comes from the National Film Board, the Canadian Encyclopedia, the Edmonton Journal, 75 Years of Sports and Culture in Lloydminster, Wikipedia, Heavy.com, ESPN, Callahoo Trails, Sitting on Top of the World, CBC, and 200 Remarkable Alberta Women. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.